Mother Earth is pregnant for the third time, for y'all have knocked her up. I have tasted the maggots in the mind of the universe. I was not offended, for I knew I had to rise above it all or drown in my own shit. on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'm Frank Yuley here this afternoon with a special New Year's Day edition with our guest Mike McGonigal, who's the editor of the new Maggot Brain magazine coming out of the Motor City. And we are um, happy to have him and we'll talk happy to be here. about his magazine and many other projects. Um, so thanks for being here. Sure. And since I want to get started with a little mini bio that we've Cobbled, you also worked for the Metro Times, so I kind of cut and pasted this from the Metro Times site. Mike McGonigal has written about music since 1984 when he started the fanzine Chemical Imbalance at age 16 with money saved for mowing lawns in Florida. He's since written for Spin, Pitchfork, The Village Voice, and Art Forum. He's been a museum guard, a financial reporter, a bicycle burrito delivery person, and an editor at Amazon.com. He's written two books about My Bloody Valentine and Galaxy 500, edited the arts journal Yeti, and produced numerous compilation records for labels like Tompkins Square, Social Music, Mississippi, Homestead, and Honest Johns. And in 2019, he started Maggot Brain magazine, along with Third Man Records. Welcome to the show. Thank you. The Honest Johns record never happened. Oh. <laughs> that, was, was, that was, you know, when you're, when you're writing your bio, you're like, oh, this thing's about to happen, and it didn't happen because of mm-hmm. licensing problems. You know, stuff okay. happens. Was that the Moondog, a Moondog thing? Just no, they, they did a they Moondog, did a Moondog thing. thing. They yeah. did a, they did what remains the best mm-hmm. Moondog record, uh, and uh, just like introduction to uh, and Moondog was a, a street performer and composer who uh, was first known because it, he was uh, an eccentric on the streets of New York City mm-hmm. in the fifties. Diane Arbus, all these people took photos of him, mm-hmm. and uh, he's this guy dressed as a Viking in the middle of fifth Avenue. And, mm-hmm. uh, there's a good book about him called the Viking of fifth Avenue. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's going to be the cover of Maggie brain number two. So Sweet. that's funny. No, my, my project was a Jamaican gospel compilation, cool. which is just really hard to license. Um, okay. no one was ever paid. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's like wow. half a dozen labels. Yeah. I, uh, on a bootleg level, I did. I've done three different Jamaican gospel vinyl wow. compilations okay. myself, and this mm-hmm. music is really amazing. Nothing else is like it. It's mm-hmm. really janky and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And when I tracked down the patriarch of this music, this guy Otis Wright, uh, mm-hmm. before he he died, mm-hmm. living out in Queens, and um, he. Uh, I was the first person. I paid him five hundred dollars because I was like, I think you produced a lot of this music and. You're on here on two songs, and here's just some money. And he was, like, mm-hmm. floored. And it was wow. uh, um, 
so so neat to be able to to do that and also just disparaging <laughs> but anyway i'm sorry i'm i've gone off on like three different things already oh. um <clears throat> and that's kind of what i what i do and that's kind of the you know like uh the thing behind maggot brain the mm -hmm. this new magazine that thankfully third man has put a lot of resources into is mm -hmm just that it it kind of can be anything just generally from a place of enthusiasm is mm -hmm. kind of where we're starting with it okay and to give you a little bit uh, we just read your bio but you started doing fanzines about 30 plus 35 oh, years ago God, i'm old yeah so true. well i'm old too but um yeah I, you know maggot brain is i and is it somewhat of a culmination of all your kind of i feel experience like, yeah. in the field yeah, no, I totally feel like that, and um, and also my um, you know th that that I have good smart friends who mm -hmm. who are great writers. Whether they're mm -hmm. Anna Gavrilovska mm -hmm. in Detroit, who I met when when I was the music editor at the Metro Times a couple of years ago, she just s sent me an interview with a friend's band, and I was like, "This is really good." Mm -hmm. uh, what else do you want to do? And uh, uh, the orchestra, I think. A couple articles later, when she wrote about the the orchestra, who I have seen, I saw Sun Ra with the orchestra dozens of times, mm -hmm. and she wrote stuff that I had never thought of. She like mm -hmm. is recontextualizing this music for me. Cool. I was like, wow, I'm so like I've just was so lucky that uh, to um, that that she wrote me that she sent something in and then you know it just turned out to be she's a great writer so from her to people like uh luke sant who's an amazing writer who's uh, best known for a book called low life which is like a mm -hmm. history of um criminal underworld history of new york uh and then he did evidence which was the first time that people had messed around with police photos like as art mm -hmm. he did that and then uh, he's just a genius and I've learned, I, I had published, uh, two, two books by him and, uh, before I briefly was publishing books and, uh, um, I just learned so much from, from reading him and working with him. And, uh, we put together an essay collection called kill all your darlings. And mm -hmm. he kept shortening the years <laughs> that that it was included. And he kept, uh, hacking away at his own work. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that's the way that he writes so much and that mm -hmm. so many of the writers that I like, like it's about removing mm -hmm. things and just getting down to this essence of the thing and kind of taking your own self and your own BS out of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's not like I was over his shoulder at all, but but I just just seeing what he'd done, I learned so much. And also... It doesn't say it, but I'm pretty sure that in every piece here, he went back and like rewrote all his old pieces to make them better. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, which is probably a thing you're not supposed to do. Uh, but I don't, I don't mind, you know, if it's making whatever is making it better. No, that's interesting because I, uh, the last time I did this show a few months ago, I had um, Simon Callow down here, and he wrote this book on being an actor, and he had it it was very popular it was republished a couple times and he wrote a forward but he deliberately left it untouched and i, I was like why did you do that and he's like ah he, he didn't care it was it was interesting how people have a different attitude towards their old work because you published something in maggot brain that's something you published in the village voice in 1990 i believe yeah which which did you rewrite uh, that 
No, I wish I had. <laughs> uh, also, it was written at a weird time in... So Daniel Johnson had just passed away when we are putting this together. Right. David Berman from The Silver Jews did as well, but we didn't publish something about him. You know, you have to choose. Mm -hmm. and, but I had a personal relationship with Daniel. Um, I was working in a fanzine store called See Here, which was the first store of its kind that sold just music fanzines and books. And uh, I was so lucky to, to be in this weird little cramped little place just filled with craziness. And and uh, Ted, I had a very libertarian I idea towards it. So that would encourage like you'd have skinheads and goths and whatever just cramming into this little place to find mm -hmm. out about their subculture. They also carried all those great uh, Raymond Pettibone little zines mm -hmm. and and really early queer culture zines. Uh, there was one called JDs. It was it was really great. Mm -hmm. um, so this weird guy comes in and uh, and he's and he has these cool cassettes that look neat and they're so cheap. Mm -hmm. And I I'd, I'd heard of him. Mm -hmm. And he'd been on uh, one of these MTV, like, Sunday night show. You know, MTV uh, used to dabble in uh, subculture before it became the culture with Nirvana. Um, and uh, so I, I knew this, who he was, and he had these, and they just looked cool, and they were so cheap. So I gave him some money for them, partly to get rid of him. And then in the lobby of my dorm later that day, I gave one to this guy, Dan, this musician and the next morning he, he like knocks on my door uh and uh it's like that was so amazing and i hadn't even listened to it yet i was just like uh this throwaway thing mm -hmm. so i'm so grateful for that because then mm -hmm. uh dan came back the next day and i being a poser was like oh i really liked it i probably hadn't listened to it yet myself mm -hmm. but um so i had a relationship with him and and his time in New York at the at the time, and he was kind of manic and off his meds and not in the best way. And I had helped him get, like, uh, get situated with a friend after uh, he had tried to strangle Steve Shelley from Sonic Youth uh, wow. and put him up with a friend and uh, um, and stuff like that. Uh, he just was in a bad way and. Uh, and that's not in the article about him doing, you know, that's mm -hmm. sort of, uh, you know, it just didn't seem necessary to say. Yeah. Um, but so I'd had, and then I was friends with this guy Kramer and I used to go hang out with him a lot. He had a, a great studio and record label called Shimmy Disc and he was producing bands I loved, Pussy Galore, Galaxy 500. And uh, he was already in touch and already had planned to record Daniel. Mm -hmm. So I had this, this you know, just moment of interaction. And, and my zine, I was doing my zine at the time, and, and it had gotten to be color. It was called Chemical Imbalance, and we had color covers. And it was still really, I like, I never studied writing. I never studied journalism. Okay. When I look at these old zines, I really wish I had in some ways. Um, he, Daniel shows up at the dorm, the same dorm, a week later, and he's drawn. Uh, we'd probably done an interview already, but he'd drawn the cover. Uh, for the next issue with him doing the artwork for it. And so he had such uh, talent and chutzpah. And so that wound up being the cover, even though, you know, I, I didn't ask him. Mm -hmm. um, but so uh, I here um, just sort of dip back. And uh, the, the one, uh, the article in here, thankfully, it was the time that I got into work with um, 
a writer and editor named R.J. Smith, who's written great books on um, kind of black music in L.A. and James Brown. And he's working on a Chuck Berry book that's going to be amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, he also has been an an editor at different places uh, over the years. Um, And so uh, it was... It was just sort of like this snapshot of this great artist that I'm telling people about, but also he had recently had some kind of legal troubles. Like he'd caused this, he was having a really bad time and he broke into someone's apartment because she thought she was, he was trying to help her because she thought she was possessed by the devil and she's an older woman and like jumped out of the window and hurt hurt her legs real bad. So since that had just happened, we had to cover that so in terms of all the things that are in maggot brain uh Mm -hmm. that's one that like kind of kind of wish it had ended a little differently but also anybody can just look up now and see you know more about his life if they don't know and hopefully you know that was written with a lot of enthusiasm which is the thing that um i have always been motivated by to to do uh, what I do, you know, the, you mentioned first zines, you know, the first scene zine that I did, I hadn't seen modern zines at all. And I'd seen uh sixties counterculture stuff. And I was confused. Like <clears throat> I wasn't the brightest person. And I was confused. Like, why, why aren't people still acting like this and doing things like this? You know, like when I look at, when I listen to this, this this is in the early 80s, and when I listen to this music from this time, and when I look at the cultural output of it, which I was able to find in these weird used bookstores mm-hmm. in the back in the magazine sections, and I was lucky to find there were publications, I don't know if you know them, called It and Oz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And somehow they were in South Florida where I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think one of them was from Australia, I think one from the UK, and just like amazing crammed together things. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's always, there's always been this kind of zeal behind it and and uh, just a real, just like this, I have to, like, when I, when I, I just feel like why do something unless the impetus behind it is, oh my God, you have to hear about this thing. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of such things, let's let's hear a track that you selected for us from uh, the band My Bloody Valentine, which we'll talk about in a minute, is a book that you wrote for the 33 and a Third series. And again, this is Frank Uly, our guest today, Mike McGonigal, here on Living Writers. And thanks to Gina for lovely engineering work. Yes, thank you.
And we're back with the Living Writers. Our guest today, Mike McGonigal. I'm Frank Uly, sitting in for the wonderful T. Hetzel, who's taken a couple of weeks off for the holidays. And we thank Mike for taking of holidays, driving into Ann Arbor on a Sunday, or on a Sunday. <laughs> on a it feels like a Sunday. Yeah, it feels it's like a Sunday, Sunday in the free middle of parking. the parking. Right. Anyway, um, so we were just talking about Mike's uh, new magazine, Maggot Brain, and um, we heard there from my bloody Valentine, who you wrote. A thirty-three and a third book on about twelve years ago. Yes, and um, I didn't actually want to switch gears into that yet, but let's talk more about Maggot Brain. So, you, please, um, we're talking about finding these cool. This is. I, I'm just going to briefly uh, my own self. I I was a teenager. You know, my brother and I would go looking at garage sales and find like weird music and you know obscure forty fives that we'd never heard of before and playing them. And we were buying fanzines too at the time. But, you know, buying a, like a stash at this one store had like these cutouts that had just sat there for like 10, 15 years. And there was like weird albums like The David, Another Day, Another Lifetime. It's like this bizarre psychedelic one-off kind of album and stuff. And just the inspiration that you must have felt reading those magazines like Oz and It, that's like a formative thing. When you kind of discover something that hasn't ever occurred to you that it even exists, right? I mean, what was yeah. it like to read... A, re- a really creative fanzine from a foreign country before the internet, right? Yeah, well, that was really neat. I'm really lucky. Uh, I think what started everything uh, is just uh, my family moved from Cleveland to Miami in 1978, and I was 10 years old, mm-hmm. and I'd had a great teacher in fourth grade at university school named Mr. Cook, and he gave me a copy of the last Whole Earth catalog, and I'm just a kid, mm-hmm. and the whole world of, of hippies and environmentalism and alternative thought was in this giant book that just looked really cool. Mm-hmm. I, being that age, was really excited that uh, the word, the four-letter word that means to fornicate was in this book. And, like, that's mm-hmm. where I started was just, wow, you can print that? Like, I'm that's where I started with it. Mm-hmm. But in time, you know, the, the world of... Uh, of just sort of alternative thought and connecting back to Buckminster Fuller and all these things that it didn't even occur to me till, till way later, mm-hmm. like how important that was. And I don't know what possessed that guy to do that. Mm-hmm. Cause also like today people get fired for way less, be, you know, just because that, that word is in there. Right. Like mm-hmm. he could have gotten, um, whereas I, I was just like, look at this thing later, like a talisman um, or Rosetta Stone or something, trying to figure out stuff. And it took me a while, obviously, <laughs> from what I said earlier, to get uh, the, to the, the history of, of it and, and that connection. And, uh, but um, it, it, it's so much of what I like about editing, um, and, I, and I love that I'm able to, to do this. I brought this project to Third Man oh, and... Really? and Kind of, I actually like initially. I had the the idea for it, the contents for out for like three and a half issues. Wow! And thus far, the only um, editorial uh, feedback that I've gotten from them was that in the contents, at first, it had said there's going to be an article called "How to Resist Ice." Mm-hmm. I'd reached out to I think it's Rebecca Solnit and a couple other people, mm-hmm. but like in a not great way, like on Facebook Messenger or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's just, that's not a way that, you know, people are going to actually get back to you. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't heard back from her. So then I removed it because I wanted, 
I wanted the best version of that to be in there. And then, uh, but the, the understanding was put that in there. This should have, it should always have a, a political element, mm-hmm. but, but they didn't even say that they just, so I was like, okay, I'll put it back in, mm-hmm. um, without them even telling me to. And that's just like, make it weirder, make it better, make it more political is the only feedback I've gotten, which right. is perfect. Mm-hmm. And I, and I just, I love in editing anything, um, you know, the things I most love to do are put, put compilation records together and I and I really I was telling a friend the other day because um, I just I just got her a copy of uh, this CD compilation I was lucky enough to do for Tompkins Square mm-hmm. of Fire My Bones. It was this gospel collection, and I just crammed as much into it as I could, and I just really wanted people to understand the breadth of this kind of different strains of raw gospel from. Uh, like fife and drum gospel to, you know, other traditions that are still extant, like uh, Sacred Steel, mm-hmm. which thankfully we're lucky because there's a bunch of great Sacred Steel out of Toledo. Mm-hmm. This woman named Nikki D. Brown, um, who I hope to work with in some capacity, even if it's just have her in Maggot Brain. But um, this whole thing of, uh, I, was t- I was explaining to her, that was a three CD set, and I was saying I made the third one the best because... I wanted to reward people that actually listen to the whole thing. Cool. But just like how just I think a lot about like how which piece comes after which and you know I just and it's it's all contained in this in this thing like I just like physical media a mm-hmm. lot and I like how <clears throat> And especially when when you can have resources, like I'm so glad to, to that that this thing is glossy and color, and yeah. that Third Man put a lot behind it, and um, that uh, that they're just trusting me and my friend Greg Einhorn, who's mm-hmm. doing the design, mm-hmm. to to put this to trust the way that we're putting this this world together, which is how I really see each issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's quarterly, and now you know, I I had like months and months to get the first one done now i have to get the next one done in the next couple of weeks and it'll it but it'll 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 still i hope have that attention to it and and i just i just love being being able to to have a world and 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 to me the it's and the Oz's and these other things i was seeing early early rolling stone magazines cream magazines that i was finding yeah and and some current things too, you know, when Spin Magazine, when you could first buy Spin Magazine at at the Seven Eleven, that was a big deal to to us. Mm-hmm. It was like there's a column in there by Henry Rollins. I just saw him play because you could see, no matter where you lived in America, you could see Henry Rollins because mm-hmm. the Black Flag played everywhere. Right. And here it is in Seven Eleven, that culture coming through. Mm-hmm. And while Spin wasn't as exciting as cream maybe or whatever there were there was still really neat nuggets in there and that was really cool and and so i'm trying to put something together that's just a lot of nuggets and from a lot of different places and a lot of different um perspectives too no it's really evident in the magazine it's uh if for those who haven't seen it it's uh got a beautiful piece on um the late alice coltrane and some recent musicians i i 
you're, I'm not going to be able to try to say their name that well. Le Fille de Illigidad, I think, is it? Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know French. Yeah. yeah, we'll hear a cut from them in a bit. In a bit, but yeah, they're some amazing. beautiful, amazing music from them. And you've got uh, older artists. Some of the pieces that were um, like the the band Index from yeah. Motor City. That's an incredible DIY project that was you know legendary for years. Those are like the first photos I've ever seen of those people. That was well, a was, real nice piece. I was really lucky that Glenn Morin who's a really talented Detroit um, musician and, and writer, that he sent me that for something that I was first trying to do. Uh, after I was laid off by Metro Times, I was trying to do, like, a monthly. Uh, and it just, you know, it just didn't work because, you know, I, I didn't have any money and and whatever and didn't have the resources. And then he let me sit on the piece for a long time and work with him on it. And it's so good. Yeah. And, uh, and he's in touch with all the, you know, artists. And, and I know you've written for ugly things magazine and had Mike stacks on here. And he is a great editor of this kind of thing of, Mm -hmm. of looking, um, you know, with a new perspective and new information on, uh, on, generally overlooked things and yeah this is a band that played uh that just played parties in gross point in the 60s and they did two records barely any copies of either of them that are that are great that are almost it's almost like uh, a little bit of a raggedy kind of off-kilter thing that you wouldn't want to tell the band that's what you like about them but what you like about them is that they kind of had a you know that garage like uh not not fully ept uh oh totally yeah thing. there's a weird spacey looseness yeah at all. and on both records that they did they cover eight miles high <laughs> yeah. and i love that so then when i when i put it together i was like oh i gotta i forget um forget what i did but i know that i i uh yeah i called it stranger than known because it's uh well that's a, those are such great words right but yeah. that's from eight miles eight high, miles high. And yeah, and just you know, again, my I gave I just gave the material to my my friend Greg Einhorn, uh, the designer in Portland, and mm-hmm. he just did amazing work. Uh, and this is the first time too that I've been able to have a palette of color. Mm-hmm. And then uh, after that, in the magazine, there's uh, <clears throat> um, I don't want to just be tell, <laughs> flipping through the magazine tell you what's in it. But there, there's an amazing um, Detroit uh, graphic artist named Lucy Cahill, who people have seen her work here without maybe knowing it. She's designed mm-hmm. a lot of local posters and stuff, and so we. Well, that was a nice profile of her too. And yeah. again, the color and the glossy stock is really, it's it's wonderful to be able to see those in such great fidelity. Yeah, and and it's like I understand so, a lot of the reasons that, believe me, I do. I'll you know. So many of my friends have had to uh, go into hiding in academia or 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 whatever, or just become you know record sellers or whatever. Like mm-hmm. it used to be that a lot of people could make a living doing some of the things that we do, being music mm-hmm. writers, and now some definitely can. But um, just pr- the beauty of print of, of a good print mm-hmm. magazine, like, is just really neat. And I'm and I'm so lucky to have this support. And why I brought it to to mm-hmm. them, and why I tried to bring it to them as as a sort of contained thing, is mm-hmm. that I saw how busy everybody at Third Man is mm-hmm. with so many projects, 
and so much great stuff, but but a real commitment to it, and um, and that uh, that it was and it it here like a love for for the physical, whether it's having the record plant and mm-hmm. then the a venue in the record plant and a store and making these things, and, and when you visit either third man store, mm-hmm. there's also all this like third party uh, merchandise, and so it just it's mm-hmm. so physical. And it felt so nice to be away from the world that I'd sort of uh, was making a living on when I could of of just weird internet stuff to just mm-hmm. go fully physical. We will uh, at some point. I'm sure there'll be some kind of website or something. But mm-hmm. I think uh, you know I don't want to um, put all the content up for free on there too. You know myself. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, frankly, the experience of just sitting and paging through it, I mean, there's so much of it, as I think most people would say, even today reading a newspaper, you look at the website and you don't see the little side pieces about things that maybe are on your primary focus. And having the joy of, of the print medium is just that you're not connected. They're not distracted by all those other things popping up on your screen and you're just like physically paging through. I mean, again... The Lucy Cahill piece, um, I really like this reprinted uh, Swell Maps interview. Right. Yeah, they were from a 1980. They were a great ex- experimental um, punk era band, and uh, and I've always loved them so much. And uh, what was neat there is I is I I did reach someone on Facebook, uh, mm-hmm. but not who I intended to. I wrote uh, that that was a. Uh, the, the physical copy of the zine I had borrowed uh, from some friends who are amazing archivists called Division Leap, and they mm-hmm. they uh, sell like old poetry magazines and punk flyers and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So I'd had this thing on loan, and I wrote uh, the editor writer of this obscure punk scene that I'd never seen before, and uh, his widow wrote back later. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's like he's obviously dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what do you want to do? And I told her. And uh, this this is a couple of years ago when I was working on this other project. And mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, and she let me uh, write the bio. Um, and uh, it turns out that this person had been an amazing um, activist in London for uh, mentally ill. And after having, you know, and also was a was a great music writer, and I didn't know, and so mm-hmm. that that was really neat to learn and to, to feel like I could also throw that in there in the in the bios at the end, mm-hmm. but um, also just kind of heavy, you know, to be to to and and really neat to be able to just put that back out, and then Jow Head, who's in that band. Mm-hmm. Wrote, saw that oh you have swell maps in your magazine cool. he wrote us and then also now you know we might work again with him on on something else later nice. and he is a really interesting nice. history in and of himself and he's kind of connected to more uh to like uh weirder indier stuff too and it's really neat and uh you know these these connections are, are really neat yeah and you're just getting started i'm sure it will um, in a minute, I'm going to talk about some of the Detroit connections, but uh, why don't we take another listen to a track that uh, you selected, and you're telling me the next issue is going to have this gentleman on the cover. Yeah. Who I just, before I even read this, I was listening to that uh, Honest John's compilation of Moondog stuff, totally at random, 
just before I picked this up, and it was it's amazing. But here's a track by Moondog from 1957 called Up Broadway. That was Moondog with Up Broadway. We're talking to Mike McGonigal here on Living Writers. This is Frank Uly sitting in for T. Hetzel. Thanks again to Gina for her great work across the glass corridor there. Yes. And um, Mike has brought in the debut issue of Maggot Brain, which just came out a few weeks ago. Was the official street date December? It was December, just the start yeah. of December, yeah, yeah. And it was starting to get around. You know, it's our first one, mm-hmm. and uh, we've been figuring out magazine distribution uh, mm-hmm. in in today's time. I had a lot of mm-hmm. outdated information to, to give them, and it's okay. just like stuff has changed a lot, like a lot of things. It's their yeah. consolidation and all that. But uh, the response has been great, mm-hmm. uh, both in terms of people subscribing oh, cool. or, or wanting to write about it mm-hmm. online, and then um, stores selling out of it, like Excellent. who ordered like 10 copies and they don't normally carry any magazines, so mm-hmm. that's really neat. That's super. And not just locally. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. And so if people want to subscribe, uh, again, this is a print-only publication, but you can go to the website. Yeah, just Third, Third Man Records, and it's on there. Cool. And uh, I think it's Third Man Records slash Maggot Brain, but also, mm-hmm. yeah, just, I mean, everybody just searches anyway, right? Yeah. It doesn't <laughs> you take know, long to find it. Like you don't, yeah, we don't need to say URLs. I, I yeah. remember um, cringing every time, you know, like when people were first online or, like, or over the air or, or on TV talking about a website and, you know, just like spelling it out really slowly. <laughs> yeah, underscore. Yeah, or uh, yeah just it, it's on Third Man um, and locally uh, it's, it's at Third Man and other stores and mm-hmm. Uh, Encore, if you're if you're here in Ann Arbor, I believe still they has copies, it, yes. and uh, that's a, if if I can give a shout out, that is a great great store, great institution. I'm glad it's doing well, even though they had to move. Yeah, no, that's uh, my actually. It was it was sad that they moved because the same location had been Liberty Music, which right. My dad was a student here and the 40s and he used to buy his records there is that, that is time. that when you went in there in the old location and there was the photo on the wall was that that store do you remember that there was a big photo on the wall of 
the same spot being a record store so. before. I think so. And then they also used to have little listening booths, which they, in more recent years, had converted to like CDs and right. or DVDs and stuff. But yeah, it was an old old school record store for so many years. But and it's, yeah, the yeah. new location is is perfect. And it's possible that uh, I don't want to put him on the spot if he's listening, but that one of the uh, owners, Bill, I I've heard through uh, Shelley Salant, who's doing a feature on the uh, first Raincoats recording sessions in the next issue mm-hmm. uh, and uh, in oral history style, which I'm really excited about. Cool. And Shelly has been in so many bands and put on so many shows and such an important part of the local community here mm-hmm. um, that uh, she told me that Bill is... Uh, I'd mentioned earlier that Moondog, a lot of people took photos of him, and so we're collecting... Mm-hmm them oh, cool. and uh but that bill had t- from uh from encore ha- and again not to put him on the spot <laughs> but that he might have great photos so and stuff wow. like that is really neat and so I, mm-hmm. and that's the kind of thing and another friend who's sort of a, a real cult musician that i don't even know that i can say his name but he, i ran into him in new york recently because i went there to see this guy mayo thompson do this mm-hmm. record uh corky's debt to his father mm-hmm. and, sure i know that record and i'll have a live review of that in there mostly talking about how most things like that are terrible but this wasn't it's, mm-hmm. it's the whole thing of play your old record for us the mm-hmm. good one play it in order is not like how most music happens right but this thing like he just kind of wanted to do it i think and cool. it happened um anyway uh where was I? Oh yeah, uh, that this this just person just happened to also have like uh, an unpublished Moondog photo mm-hmm. is just super neat, and uh, and that's the kind of thing that it's just like the world. The I feel like the the more that we dig into the these microcosms and subcultures mm-hmm. and things, uh, the more it expands. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of my work is is on. Um, you in passing uh, before we clicked the phones, the microphones on, mm-hmm. uh, uh, referred to me as a gospel expert, and I had to immediately say, "Man, I don't know. So there's so much I don't know. Like I don't feel like I am. Like that's mm-hmm. nice, but uh, you know, the more I the more I dig into these things, the more things come up. And a lot of what I want Maggot Brain to be is just sort of new new ways of re-envisioning re-imagining and working with archives mm-hmm. and and uh because like a lot of my friends uh the people that i admire the most are like archivists and doing doing different things whether it's like i mentioned these division leap people who do it uh for for money uh but but also you you can tell they do it for love you can look mm-hmm. at uh online there they have all these great uh like pdfs of catalogs that they've done of different sections and there's even one that they did where like they they found this book out of czechoslovakia in the 60s that was uh had a it was bound with a piece of metal on the side because it was Mm -hmm. these people wanted to make a book that could be a weapon and they put that together with uh, with like that idea they used that idea to to think of of publications as as weapons and did did a catalog around that and you know this is probably the only known copy of this one book or or in Mm -hmm. america or whatever right and uh so just think it's things like that Mm -hmm. and 
these first issues of Maggot Brain are kind of like, oh, stuff I know and my friends know, but I can't mm-hmm. wait to find things, mm-hmm. whether they're current or not, that I, do, that I don't know, that I don't know. People ask me, you know, I want, what do I pitch you or what, what are you interested in? It's just like, I don't know, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, tell, tell me, you know? Uh, I, I uh, assigned uh, Anna Gavrilaska, who I've mentioned a couple times because mm-hmm. she did so much work in here, um, to write about a contemporary jazz musician. And she said, well, why don't I write about this one? And I didn't know them. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what I need. And that's what the thing needs. And that's what it needs to not just be mm-hmm. like old, old, weird white guy's idea of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. the world has had enough of that. Well, you're definitely uh, exposing me. I mean, very little of this was I extremely familiar with or, or mostly completely unfamiliar with, such as yeah. this in, insane uh, story about Swamp Fest, the uh, yeah. BMX bike riding uh, thing in Florida. Yeah, that was so cool. And I was just telling this kid what I'm working on. And we had the idea to have uh, some sort of sports element to it. But, you know, like to me, sports is like skating and whatever and then dumb stuff that your dad's into that you're not Mm -hmm. um and uh uh i was telling him about it and he has this great just indie label and and just run this indie fest out of athens he has a label called happy happy birthday to me okay and he has done some some really some records by uh warren his name is alive Mm -hmm. um just telling him what i'm working on and he said oh really well and he just tells me about this crazy uh, BMX festival in Florida. And he was part of the subculture as a teen. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, you have to write about this and go and take photos. Mm-hmm. And thankfully he did. And uh, it wasn't hard for him to drive down to middle Florida from Athens. And just, yeah, just ripping into this subculture and taking great photos. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's how I want that stuff to be we have i'm totally spacing on his name but um people who know would know the 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 first well-regarded professional black uh snowboarder my friend jason verlindi who has done a great magazine called the fretboard journal Mm -hmm. and who i worked with he was a music editor at amazon we used to joke that he was the world's youngest grandpa Mm -hmm. because he was super into the 20s stuff it was in the late 90s and just knew it so well Mm -hmm. And, like, we would have people writing at Amazon, like, Terry Zweigoff would be writing, like, a review, like, because we, we had money to have content them before mm-hmm. they thought the algorithms were everything. Right. Um, and uh, so Jason saw the BMX thing and, and then pitched that. So, again, that's a continuing of just worlds that I don't know and, and from a perspective uh, that it that that fits in here somehow, mm-hmm. you know. Like when I was first putting this together and putting the contents together, um, it it didn't have you know BM, BMX stuff in it. You know, that's the kind of thing mm-hmm. that just happens when you when you like open the door a little bit and mm-hmm. and you're lucky. Yeah, and I mean, I, I was also going to kind of get into some of the local connections because you've got you're based in the Motor City, and this is obviously not intended just to be a local distribution magazine it sold their third man and detroit and nashville and nationally right. as well obviously and, internationally. And inter- internationally yeah it's gotten around but yeah. I, know, I like the fact that you've got like this article there's a photo story on this uh guy bird who draws these wild kind of uh i don't know what the right word a slightly absurd um 
murals around the Motor City that yeah. you just drive by and see. And he does it for money, right? It's not just oh yeah, yeah. Like no. he puts these like hat signs on the hat store and stuff. Well, it's a. It, some people might be familiar with. Uh, I think it's an Instagram account called Bootleg Daycare, and initially I, I liked his work from the perspective of, you know, these great uh, redrawings of copyrighted mm-hmm. characters. Yeah, Bugs Bunny, and, and so that that kind of aesthetic. Like but then he also he just has a, a really uh, he's a really strong aesthetic that is it's cartoony, it's sort of whatever. And I I um, personally am not super interested in a lot of what gets called street art and i don't like personally like this whole thing of oh we'll throw murals on all these things and that'll bring the real estate up Mm -hmm. and oh yeah you have culture you have murals now Mm -hmm. and you just see it happen everywhere it's like you got your fancy coffee place you got murals Mm -hmm. you're good rent is now three times what it was uh so true so this is way more uh no, this is Don Home. This is not yeah. murals in the sense of uh, art school. Murals. Yeah, and and he's real. And then Anna has also gotten him to to do uh, like paintings of uh, of artists and record covers and stuff that mm-hmm. she likes. And one of the the obvious nods to our name is that we have him pose with a with a photo with with a a really great painting he did re envisioning the um, the Funkadelic record that we take our name from. Exactly. I'm going to take another brief musical pause, and we'll actually listen to a track by one of the bands that you feature in here, the the very first article oh, right. in the magazine. Les Filles. Les Filles. And, um, the women. They are, tell us a little bit about this band. Um, well, I fell in love with them as soon as I heard uh, my friend uh, Chris Kirkley has a label. I, from when I lived in Portland, I've been friends with him, and uh, he first got some renown by... Um, turning people on to music that people in the Sahara were, that's contemporary music that people were sharing on their cell phones. Okay. It was called Music from, from Saharan Cell Phones. And, mm-hmm. and it was like auto-tune vocals, mm-hmm. maybe drum machines, and then it totally sounded like traditional African music, like mm-hmm. ripping, great, like Alifark Tori, heavy mm-hmm. stuff. Wow. And then um, he kind of helped put together this group and because uh, – he found these so that the little I know of the Tuareg culture where these mm-hmm. people are from is uh, is that it is matriarchal like mm-hmm. you see that the women aren't wearing veils it's the mm-hmm. dudes that are and mm-hmm. Imdu Mokhtar who he discovered and, and is on his label is well known um, so the women don't have veils but you know they in uh, and a lot of the music is performed at weddings mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's just guitar heavy and amazing and shredding. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and so there's that side to it. And then also there's music that's more like the bedroom music, which is softer, which I think mm-hmm. the song that I picked is that, okay. but I heard this and I, I couldn't believe how good it was and fell in love with it a couple of years ago. And unfortunately, by the time our magazine came out, you know, the New Yorker, because Amanda Petrusic mm-hmm. there is a great music writer and mm-hmm. she's on top of things. She had already like covered them for for that them like if this had come out a couple of years ago we might have been a little more at the forefront yeah. but again anna gavrilovska here really i think she contextualizes them mm-hmm. more maybe as a as a feminist band and also discussing how musically they're important mm-hmm. and that and that was really neat let's hear this track from fatu sadie gali mm-hmm. 
and I'm probably butchering the pronunciation, but that was Telit from What's Fatu Saidi yeah. Gali. Yeah, that's the um, the the, uh, w- the I think that's the main woman in Lafide Illigadad, and they mm-hmm. uh, there was this feature on them in Magabrain. I made it the mm-hmm. first article. I just want people to mm-hmm. you have to at least see that, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, they performed a great show. I've been waiting for them to play since I first heard them uh, mm-hmm. at Trina Sof's this year. Oh, really? Wow. And was was really neat. But, you know, uh, that's the kind of place where you, you really have to want to know what's happening there, to ha- to know what's happening there, kind of. And uh, um, over right near uh, Eastern Market, um, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a sometime gallery space, mm-hmm. performance space, and mm-hmm. cafe, and connected to it is the great people's records so mm-hmm. it's sort of a perfect place i think mm-hmm. uh, and of course all of eastern market has now been bought up by millionaires and is quickly being changed uh so enjoy it while you can russell street Ouch. deli is seriously it's been kicked out uh, oh no I the market yeah the market itself will um will certainly continue because it'd, mm-hmm. it'd be silly not to i think it's the longest running uh farmer's market in the u.s and that that's mm-hmm. great wow. but yeah you know money changes things but also mm-hmm. you look at the street it's on Gratiot, and you go half a mile you know away from the city and it seems like there's a lot of other spaces that hopefully mm-hmm. you wouldn't be displacing anything they seem kind of empty so yeah. maybe stuff can just move down the road a little you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. um i i i have been called the ghost of gentrification for like i lived in uh, uh bushwick brooklyn um in the in the late 80s and and then that got ruined and then i and then i wound up in seattle and portland and they got ruined and mm-hmm. and uh i hope that i'm not bringing too much ruin to uh of uh white people real estate nonsense to detroit but when mm-hmm. it, but uh don't blame me no. I just I just like these places and mm-hmm. and I'm not the only one liking them. You know, I moved here uh, five years ago not to take that job. I just wanted mm-hmm. getting the job to be the music editor of the Metro Times. I moved mm-hmm. here because I liked it, mm-hmm. and I'd worked on a project producing a music documentary on new garage bands. So of oh, course cool. we were in Detroit, mm-hmm. and uh, um, it's my only time doing that. It was my only time working for the Vice people because. Uh, you know, um, creative differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, uh, my, my friend Co from the dirt bombs turned to me at one point and was like, you're going to move here. And, and at the time I was in love with Portland and that was a ridiculous mm-hmm. idea, but slowly half of the rich Californians moved to Portland and, and changed that place. Mm-hmm. And it, and it just sparked in my head that I should move here. And then I've been really lucky here and I got a grant to reissue Detroit gospel music, and uh, there was uh, I did this like subscription series, which unfortunately is still the second uh, part of it is, is finally about to come out, and it's cool. But it's like I've been really uh, I have good reasons, but it, it, that stinks that that's taken so long. But it's been really neat to do that work. Mm-hmm. So between that being offered, like at the time that I was offered it like five years ago to be the music editor at Alt Weekly. Mm-hmm. That d- didn't exist hardly anywhere s- then. Mm-hmm. And then 
and then to be able to to get it you know it's the only time i've tried to get a grant and i got it mm -hmm. to do work um because i i'm so in love with uh, gospel music to mm -hmm. try to get this stuff out and then to bring to third man after having worked with them like i work with them on reissuing um to, uh gospel music on this label Nashboro out of, out of Nashville mm -hmm. and and I and I had a good experience working with them I had a good experience I wrote a cover feature on um when for for uh Metro Times when the um the uh pressing plant was first opening mm -hmm. and um so I I just I I I knew I wanted to work with them on something but I knew I didn't didn't want to uh to work there full time because uh, I because I like to work on a bunch of projects and I'm, and I'm not always good at showing up at a place at, when I'm supposed to be there in the morning mm -hmm. uh, and that that they really it took a while to get off the ground but that they went for that was amazing I feel so mm -hmm. lucky I feel so glad to wind up in Detroit and just where there's these three things and it's, it's pretty great you know where mm -hmm. uh I'm I'm really really excited uh, about about all these projects, and I will continue to do other gospel stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the things I wanted to, we were getting tight on time, but um, ask you about uh, with some of these reissues is finding information about some of these artists. I mean, I know um, from collecting records, you know, there's lots of one shot labels that put out a few 45s 50 years ago, and Maybe had the P.O. box on the label, or maybe yeah. didn't. But you know, some of the artists never appeared in anything besides that one record. And you know, there weren't like newspaper ads for their concerts or whatever, or anything. I mean, it's just kind of like they've. Do, do when you do these, do you have the ability to track some of these folks down, or are there a lot of mysteries? As much as possible, uh, track people down. What what I tried to do the way that I learned doing this, mm -hmm. uh, my friends have have a label in Portland called Mississippi Records, and what they were doing was just going directly to artists as much as possible, with an mm -hmm. understanding that on most small labels, mm -hmm. if someone says they own something, like mm -hmm. you know, first of all, prove it. Second of all, like mm -hmm. you're just going to give a descendant of of somebody uh, money who. You know, it probably never, it never got its way to the artist anyway. Mm -hmm. So as much as possible that, mm -hmm. um, and a, a lot of it is just luck. And sometimes the way that I've done it, like mm -hmm. I talked about with Otis Wright, the Jamaican gospel artist, mm -hmm. is you just kind of wing it and then hope that uh, you can find people and that you can mm -hmm. uh, get them money. And my only, um, and so that's not the way that obviously most people would do stuff, mm -hmm. but I've only had great luck with that and with uh um it, but uh but it's it's really not easy and there there are a lot of other people who are better at that than I am uh and who who are I hope to write a uh, a history of gospel and I've finally gotten a um a proposal done mm -hmm. writing a book proposal cool is uh you have to write some of the book right and and I haven't felt until recently like I could, mm -hmm. um, e even though I, I first was talking to an editor about it, like, I don't know, like 10 years ago or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, but I just didn't feel like I knew the material. I also didn't feel like I had a structure. And, and now I, I think I do. And uh, so um, 
I, I, I feel like I'm a newbie in some ways in terms of doing research and in terms of digging into microfish okay. mm -hmm. for, for stuff and in terms mm -hmm. of whatever. Yeah. Um, but uh, I've, I've also found, too, that, like, you know, if, if you just, uh, thankfully, the, the last thing that we're going to hear is by someone named Rev R. Henderson, and, uh, um, which is soon because I've been jabbering so oh, much. Wow. But um, this is a record that I found that I can't find anything about this person. A lot of times someone's name is like Premium Fortenberry, and you can find, <laughs> you know, and, and he is a great... Yeah artist and and he was on a label that was pretty pretty well known and documented called booker right um you can find you're going to be able to find someone r related to premium fortenberry mm -hmm. rev r henderson mm -hmm. uh someone who knows better than me looked at the matrixes of wow. some of his records and found that they were probably f from near houston the, mm -hmm. the where they were pressed uh mm -hmm. and this is this kind of music that like how was this ever even one copy made of? Because mm -hmm. this this almost sounds like that Tuareg guitar mm -hmm. stuff, and it's just like, uh, so you know, part of it is that you know, when I find this, I'm just like, oh, other people have to hear this, mm -hmm. uh, and some of it is the the mystery of it, but but it is great when it is revealed, and part mm -hmm. of why. I, I want other people to hear Revar Henderson is mm -hmm. I really want to find his people. Yeah. You know, and uh, uh, I, m maybe in time that could happen and, and other people would be searching, you know, mm -hmm. like his descendants. Well, I wish you the best with uh, locating R. Henderson and many others. And we will certainly take a look at the upcoming issues of Maggot Brain. In fact, the f current one is out now and yeah. well worth your attention and out for a couple more months it's still mm -hmm. new until mm -hmm. smell you were just smelling it smells new i love like the, I, I, I just smell. love print and it's so great no. and I, I love we're permeated here with that and it's printed right like it's mm -hmm. a five hour drive away okay the, in uh it, the border of illinois cool printed in, in, in the states well we're going to thank gene again for engineering mike yes, McGonigal, our guest thank you maggot brain uh the trick gospel series more volumes coming out soon and we didn't get to talk about it, but maybe we'll have some future more about the 33 and the third series. But thank you again, sir, for your time. Thank, thank you. Thank you All so right. much. Let's hear Reverend Ara Anderson.
Well, your polka sweetheart is in the house with a special expanded edition of the Drive Time Polka Party for January 1st. Fasten 